time we stop spreading fear and acknowledge some facts. This is not about freedom or personal choice. You know, you can't work anymore unless you do what I say. That's essentially what a vaccine passport is. Wear masks obviously is a violation of your personal rights, and so is being locked down. You've been patient. Your patience is wearing thin. Open society back up. Restore our freedoms. End this madness. G'day, I'm George Christensen, the host of Conservative One Pandemic Unmasked, the podcast that's lifting the veil on COVID-19, that dreaded Wuhan flu, and finding out what lies underneath. And uh, what lies underneath are a lot of cover-ups. And I've got to tell you, one of the guys that's been out there exposing those cover-ups from Big Pharma has been the inventor of mRNA technology himself, Dr. Robert Malone. It's going to be great hearing from Dr. Malone. We're going to go across three different episodes with Dr. Malone talking about the safety issues with the vaccines. We're also going to be talking about the proof points. We're going to be talking about uh, the issues to do with children, the risks involved with vaccinating children. And we're going to also be talking about what's driving this whole push for vaccinations when we know that there are many, many issues at play. Enjoy this episode. Well, it is such a pleasure to be joined uh, by the man who invented the mRNA technology himself, Dr. Robert Malone, all the way from the USA. Thanks very much for joining us for this episode of the Conservative One Pandemic Unmasked podcast, Dr. Malone. Firstly, uh, let's get this right. They tried to scrub uh, you from Wikipedia. You are the man who invented mRNA technology, aren't you? Well, uh, put it this way, I, there are nine patents that issued based on the work that I did when I was a graduate student and uh, shortly after I joined the company called Vical that covers the whole idea of mRNA vaccines and the fundamentals of pretty much everything that's being done. There have been a couple of improvements and there are those that say, uh, well, I didn't invent this particular vaccine and uh, uh, my my response to that is well, uh, the 737 Max uh, is is a modern product, but uh, that doesn't mean that the Wright brothers didn't invent the airplane. So, uh, <laughs> if you catch the uh, subtlety there um, with that particular bird, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, there it is. You paved the uh, way I, for I, all I, the technology that come afterwards, basically. Uh, yeah, and and. The, the, in my opinion, the Patent and Trademark Office are the people that get to determine who's an inventor, not uh, undergraduates working part-time as fact-checkers. Yeah, or, or Wikipedia. Now, uh, the reason that you have been uh, scrubbed from that part of history on uh, Wikipedia and the fact-checkers and all the rest of it is because you have become a, a, a lightning rod for criticism around uh, the vaccines that are currently on the market, at least the mRNA vaccines. Uh, I'm going to let you wax lyrical, Dr. Malone, because uh, you're, you're, you're working this field. Uh, firstly, establish your credentials um, so that the Australian audience knows exactly who's speaking here. And, and then can you give us your opinion 
on, uh, on the vaccines that are on the market. And I'm talking about safety, I'm talking about efficacy, I'm talking about the boosters, uh, everything. My name is Robert Malone. I'm a physician scientist. I'm licensed to practice in the state of Maryland, USA. I graduated from Northwestern Medical School in Chicago here in the USA, which is one of the top schools uh, with my MD. I got my bachelor's of science in biochemistry from UC Davis, another excellent program. I got a master's degree in biology in lieu of a PhD from UC San Diego and the Salk Institute, where I was working in the molecular biology and virology labs when I made these discoveries that led to the nine patents that are issued. They were all filed in 1989. I completed two postdoctoral fellowships that were funded, as well as um, extensive postgraduate training at Harvard University School of Medicine, having to do with uh, global clinical research. I've been involved in vaccine development for about 30 years, often very closely with the U.S. government and most closely with the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. I've been working on uh, COVID since I got a call from a CAA officer who was in Wuhan on January 4th that told me to get my team spun up. At the time, we were focused on uh, developing novel compounds as treatments for organophosphate poisoning, uh, whether through pesticides or through uh, biowarfare agents, and uh, turned that team. We volunteered and focused on repurposing drugs for COVID. Out of that came uh, the discovery of famotidine, and more recently, the combination of famotidine and celecoxib. Here in the States, we would call that Pepsid and Celebrex. Those clinical trials are about to launch, if they haven't already launched this week, under funding from DOD. I was at the tip of the spear in bringing forward the Ebola vaccine that was originally developed by Public Health Agency Canada um, uh, and got Merck involved. That's now the licensed Merck Ebola vaccine. I was in charge of uh, about $150 million of a $300 million contract for development of a cell-based influenza vaccine for Solve. I worked for the Global Aris Global TB Vaccine Foundation in the past. I've won over, well, many billions of dollars, billions, uh, in grants and contracts with the U.S. government for development of vaccines and biologics. I used to work directly for the Department of Defense for uh, clinical research on virtually all of their biodefense products. I uh, commonly sit on study sections, often as study section chair for the NIH for uh, vaccine contracts that are in the range of 80 to $150 million. So this is, I'm, I'm a specialist in vaccines and drug repurposing, regulatory affairs, clinical development, project management, um, grants and contracts, et cetera. So, so uh, the key question is, you're not an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> you're someone who has been intimately involved with the vaccinations. You're, you're not a crank, you're a scientist. You're so so I hate... You should listen to. <laughs> yeah, I hate that the, the, the word anti-vaxxer is something that has been developed by the media to yeah, uh, basically gaslight people. True. And uh, it's interesting that Webster's somehow has... It's much like my Wikipedia being scrubbed 
by literally the same guys that have removed any reference to ivermectin as a therapeutic. They, yeah. It is the same editor that's done that for some reason. But, uh, you know, this is, this is the way things are in this modern age where we have uh, investment groups actively um, uh, modifying information. Uh, we can call it censorship. And propaganda, yeah. I think, is the simplest way to put it. And That's right. uh, it's hard for the public to figure out what's truth and what isn't truth because the truth is so heavily managed. Mm. The disinformation experts are uh, actually saying that uh, the opposite to what they're saying is disinformation. Uh, and it's pretty scary when Webster's can uh, uh, change a, a definition of a word uh, such as anti-vaxxer to include those who oppose vaccine mandates, but let's get round to the vaccines. You have had a lot to say, uh, not just about vaccine mandates, but about the mRNA vaccines themselves. Like you, I have grave concerns actually about uh, the mRNA vaccines that are out on the market and are being pushed by governments right around the world. Um, I'm concerned about the ongoing need for boosters. Tell us about what you understand uh, to be the situation with uh, mRNA vaccines, uh, their safety, their efficacy, and the concerns that you have in general around these vaccines, Dr. Malone? I think it's important to start off with to remember that we have two categories of gene therapy-based vaccines. Mm -hmm. One is the adenoviral vectored vaccines, I don't know what you have available in Australia, whether you have those like J&J uh, &J or Janssen or Sanofi AstraZeneca. Oxford. AZ is a great example. Okay, so, so these are a DNA virus that's been engineered that was originally developed for gene therapy purposes, and it's engineered to express the spike protein as a vaccine. So that's that's very closely related to the mRNA vaccines, except for... Mm -hmm the adenoviral vectored vaccines are using technology that was designed to produce high levels of protein for a long period of time for gene therapy purposes. This is probably mm -hmm. why they, with the spike, they're associated with uh, more toxicity than even the Moderna mRNA vaccine, which is about three times the dose of the Pfizer vaccine. So we have with the mRNA vaccines, it's the same basic concept of gene therapy. But in this case, it's a molecule mRNA or messenger ribonucleic acid that's being used by wrapping it with synthetic chemicals, fats, and slipping it into your cells. That's also causing your cells to manufacture the spike protein. Now, there's a couple of aspects you asked about, so let's pick apart the safety issues just a little bit. It was a bit of a shock when um, uh, Byron Bridal in Canada was able to obtain the Pfizer common technical document, that's fancy regulatory speak for the dossier of information that Pfizer had submitted to virtually all the world governments uh seeking approval to go ahead and market to those governments a vaccine that uh, we learned when that was released had been hardly tested at all much of the dossier revealed 
that mm-hmm. they the regulatory agencies allowed Pfizer to move forward with uh, substituting data that they developed for other purposes in lieu of the actual data that they should have generated and that would normally be required. But even then right. the data showed even then the data showed that, for instance, the lipid part, the synthetic chemical part of these complexes, found their way with a surprisingly high affinity to the ovary, particularly compared to the testis, and to the bone marrow. So those are key target organs, particularly the ovary, and it's important to understand that um, when we talk about some of the toxicities. So the question comes up, is is the toxicities that are observed, such as the uh, cerebral events and the vascular coagulopathy events and the myocarditis events and the reactivation of latent viruses problems and the neuropathy that's observed like Guillain-Barre syndrome and many others mm-hmm. and the thrombotic thrombocytic peanut purpura and other and other problems with platelet disorders um, you know is that all due to spike so we had a reveal the other day from Moderna in which they shared with their investors a slide deck from the phase one clinical studies that we're doing with the same formulation, but for influenza. So no spike involved, but mm-hmm, the same mm-hmm. lipids and formulations. And what it showed is at, at the 100 microgram dose, which is the dose that's used in these uh, SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, 90% of the people participating in the clinical trial had adverse events compared to 30% approximately of the placebo controls. So what we learned from that is that the toxicity, the adverse event problems, aren't just due to spike. They're also due to the nature of the formulations themselves. So, so, so what would be causing what, what would be causing that in the formulation if it's not the spike? Because I thought it would be uh, the spike that's that's manufactured by these uh, mRNA vaccines. So what that's, what's the, that's the point what, I'm making? What is the data it's, showing that's causing it's, it's spike plus something else, and that something else may be the fact that these are highly inflammatory nanoparticles. We knew this back from my research in my laboratory back in the mid-90s at UC Davis. This is why we stopped developing these cadenic lipid complexes for gene therapy purposes for lung delivery is because they're just incredibly inflammatory. This is part of why I turned to using electroparative delivery and pioneered that technology. That's now the company called Inovio. But... This was recently confirmed in a, in a science article that these uh, lipid nanoparticles are intrinsically inflammatory. It's not just the spike. Now, the spike has its own set of problems, and we know about that. And, and the fact that you see this overlap between symptoms associated with the virus and adverse events found with the adenovirus vaccines and with the mRNA vaccines, well, the only thing those three all have in common is spike. So I think we we have to conclude is that there are problems associated with the spike protein for sure, but that isn't to say that the lipids and the formulations aren't also causing problems intrinsically because those adverse events occur even if you don't have spike there. 
Now, we talked a little bit about the lipids going to the ovary. As I mentioned, it's in the Pfizer dossier. What we do know that's particularly intriguing and relevant to that is that many, many, many women report dysmenorrhea or menometrorrhagia. That means alteration in their menses, both in terms of their timing and frequency or duration of their periods. And uh, then we have the uh, postmenopausal women who report that they've suddenly started bleeding. Those are all signs of something going on with the ovary. The ovary is what controls menstruation. And so is this, when we have is this also things, sorry, is this also linked to issues we might be hearing around pregnancy as well? So uh, it's not certainly the ovary is important for pregnancy and, and hormonal control, but pregnancy, what we are, if you're referring to in some regions of the world, there are reports that the spontaneous abortion rate in the first and second trimester is unusually high post-vaccination. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then we have the various reports from midwives, etc., about placental irregularities, uh, areas of placental necrosis that would be consistent with a blood clot. The problem in evaluating these data is that we also have here in the States something like half of the population that's been infected by the virus. And the virus can cause a lot of these same problems. And so yeah. it's hard to sort uh, chicken from egg here. Is it the vaccine or is it the virus that's causing these things? For instance, when we talk about the sudden death in the footballers, I, I don't know if there's a problem with sudden death in rugby players. I know you guys like to play rugby, uh, but uh, certainly I suspect you, you guys play what we call soccer. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we have these many reports of these professional athletes that have sudden death or suddenly collapse on the field. And it's hard to say how many of those are due to the jabs and how many are due to the virus. Most of these sports teams are completely uh, vaccinated. That's often a requirement. And so it's increasingly difficult to, to sort out which is which and, and so, what's responsible. But we do have some so what, clear indications that the vaccines are causing problems for sure. So, so, so what in terms of both the virus and the vaccine would be causing um, collapses such as we've seen or sudden deaths of athletes uh, such as been reported? Two, two main things. Obviously, things, spike protein, whether it's in the virus or in the vaccine, is associated with triggering unusual blood coagulation, clotting, both microclotting and this kind of loose, uh, for instance, central uh, uh, cerebral venous thrombosis. So there, and then there's deep venous thrombosis, etc. So there's a clotting problem, and some of that clotting problem seems to be of an autoimmune uh, um, uh, trigger. Uh, some of it may be intrinsic. The spike seems to cause contraction of pericytes around microvasculature, which will lead to blood clot formation, microclots, which is one of the problems. To this end, 
uh, it's there are multiple physicians that have reported that if they check the laboratory test called D-dimer, which is a measure that detects this kind of microcoagulation before and after vaccines, they find about half of the patients post-vaccination develop unusually high D-dimer levels, suggesting that they're having these microclots. So in terms of what's going on, uh, we have this blood clotting problem. Uh, spike seems to damage vascular endothelium, the cells that line your blood vessels. Uh, both the virus and the vaccines are associated with myocarditis and pericarditis. That may be driven by, by the blood clots. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, there's a, a paper just out as a preprint from the UK that suggests that the uh, um, this uh, cardiomyocarditis is occurring with both the virus and the vaccine in that in adults, it's more prevalent with the virus. Uh, but in children, particularly with the Moderna vaccine and particularly boys, it's more prevalent with the vaccine than it is with the virus. And then we have, mm. for instance, the recent Hong Kong study where they looked at clinical myocarditis that brought uh, children to the hospital. So hospitalized myocarditis, that's not a small thing. And they found an incidence rate in boys of one in 2,700 that had received the vaccine. So clearly it's happening with the vaccine. It's also happening with the virus and it probably has to do with blood clotting, but it may be some sort of direct toxicity in heart muscle cells. So now, those are talk, two of the big overlaps. Now, I, I wanna talk more about uh, young people, children and uh, vaccinations in the second part of our interview in the next episode. But I did distract you from where you were going before. You were talking about how uh, the vaccine affected the ovaries and your overall assessment of uh, of these uh, of these vaccines and their safety, right? So there's a number of uh, we call them adverse events or uh, you know problems that occur post vaccination. I mentioned the blood clotting. Blood clots can affect the brain. They can affect the heart. They can affect the kidneys. They can affect the lungs. Many organs can be damaged through blood clotting. So that's that compartment. There appears to be some direct effect of spike, both in a virus and from the vaccine, since it gets cut loose from the cells that are producing it and circulates in your body, that affects the blood brain barrier or your basically affects your cognition. So this is the uh, brain fog uh, syndrome. There is some concern that the vaccines may be triggering inflammation in the brain and that can be associated with these neurofibrillary tangles people talk about prions there is some evidence it's not uh, super strong right now about uh, the incidence of Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS we know that the vaccines are associated I mentioned before about these various uh, forms of uh, neuropathy such as Guillain-Barre syndrome that cause paralysis or partial paralysis. Uh, then, then in terms of uh, other adverse events, one of the more common ones 
is reactivation of latent viruses, typically DNA viruses. So this is Epstein-Barr virus, herpes virus, um, cytomegalovirus. And the obvious one that people are very aware of is shingles. Shingles hurts mm. like the Dickens, and it has a visible sign. And uh, so people, when they have shingles pop up after vaccination, they tend to be pretty aware of that. Uh, they may mm. not be aware that they've had uh, reactivation of cytomegalovirus, for example. The, the worrisome thing about that is that there, the, in, then there's also related to this some evidence emerging about uh, cancer incidence, uh, timing, aggressiveness, uterine cancers, uh, um, blood cancers uh, being associated with vaccination. All of those kind of fit under the category T cell suppression. And there's laboratory evidence suggesting that uh, T cells, their function and their ability to signal to each other through toll-like receptors is being affected by the vaccines. It's not clear for how long, but uh, there are alterations in T cell function. And so you have this odd paradox of a period of time after vaccination where people may actually be more susceptible to infection by this virus or other viruses while this T cell suppression is happening. And it's the T cells that keep the latent DNA viruses in the bottle, if you use the metaphor of a genie, uh, they suppress them. That's a T cell function. And it's also T cells that are keeping the genie of cancer in the bottle. So mm. all of this kind of suggests that there is some immunocompromise. So in general, the adverse events can be thought of as involving brain and nervous system, heart and blood clotting, reproductive system, and uh, the immune system, broadly it's, speaking. Uh, that's unbelievable that uh, there are that many adverse uh, events or potential adverse events uh, in different parts of the body that can come from this. Uh, Dr. Malone, I want to continue this conversation in our next episode where I want to discuss uh, the proof points around uh, what you've just said, uh, also the issue of safety of the vaccines with children uh, and more questions into what the manufacturers of these vaccines knew and what is driving all of this uh, push for vaccinations when we know that there are inherent risks. Thanks very much for joining us for this episode. And we'll see you next time. Conservative One Pandemic Unmasked is hosted by George Christensen, MP. You can find more episodes from this series at goodsource.news forward slash unmasked. This show is produced and published without censorship or paywall by the team at The Good Source, thanks to The Good Source supporters. If you'd like to be part of the solution by helping us produce more truthful content like this each month, head to goodsource.news and click on the support button. Make sure to follow George Christensen on Telegram, Getter, Gab, Parler, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. You can also help us beat the algorithms by giving us five stars and encouraging comments in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.